Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! On this episode, we chat with Dr. Stephen Henkel, Director of the University of Dayton's University Chorale and Bella Voce about producing virtual choirs and his work developing new choirs in the U.S. and around the world. All right, joining us today, we have Dr. Stephen Hankel. And Stephen is the Assistant Professor of Choral Music and Music Education at the University of Dayton, where he directs the University Chorale and an ensemble called Bella Voce. Uh, Stephen also teaches choral conducting and choral methods. He serves as choral faculty at the Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp, where he directs the staff choir, alumni choir, and a vocal ensemble. He's an active clinician and adjudicator. He has worked with choirs in California, Florida, Virginia, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and then the two I was really interested in, I want to hear a little bit more about this, Kenya and Tijuana. That is so cool. Uh, Stephen serves on the board of both the National Collegiate Conductor uh, Organization and the Ohio Music Education Organization. His primary area of interest is the development of choral music education in urban secondary public schools and student engagement by developing music skills and repertoire in the choral rehearsal. Steve is a native of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, and received both undergraduate and master's degrees in music education and conducting from San Francisco State, my alma mater as well. His PhD came from, uh, is in choral conducting and music education, came from Florida State University. And prior to his appointment at the University of Dayton, he served as choral music and music education faculty at Penn State and successfully developed a new choral program at Mission High School in San Francisco, California. Did I miss anything there, Stephen? Nope, that's good. Awesome. <clears throat> Welcome to the show. We're really glad to have you on. Happy to talk to you, man. Welcome, yeah, Dr. Henkel. So I Thank can't you. let this last little piece go by. I mean, you're you're a specialist in creating new uh, choral programs for uh, urban environments, and you'd said um, that you created a new Mission High School program in San Francisco. Uh, my husband and I happen to live half a block from Mission High School in San Francisco. Aww. So yeah, I know. And personal, just personal question, uh, which is, have you been back to San Francisco to visit the program or keeping in touch with them? Or how's it going? And how did that all come to be? Okay, so I'll answer the first one is, yeah, you know, I've gone back a couple of times because there were some teachers there that I grew relationships with while I was there. So I go back and, you know, go and see and hang out and, you know, see how things are going. Um, and then as far as, um, you know, how things are going there, well, when I was there, you know, I started the program from scratch. So it was nothing there, no music. You know, I always tell the story. It was like Sister Act 2, you know, but instead we were up in, if you ever been in the mission, 
uh, Mission High School, on the top floor, there's a there's a small little theater out there. And, and, and the gay men's course used to actually rehearse up there yep. years ago. And they had these huge bay windows. And so if you open the bay windows, birds can get in. So we had bird poop on the piano that I was going to be working with the kids. <laughs> with. And uh, so, you know, it, it was it was it was a great experience. You know, of course, when I got there, it was like, oh, my God, I just finished my master's degree from San Francisco State. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I literally started from scratch. You know, I called people that I knew to get resources. You know, I you know, my administration was very supportive. And I just learned as I went and I start building and I start having that growth mindset of working with the students. And and within the three years that I was there, we started with about 55. And by time, my third, we had 170. And then um, if I stayed there another year, I would have created a men's choir, which would have got us about to about 200 um, singers in those, you know, in those three years. So um, a lot of heartache, a lot of good times. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of how I learned trial by fire and how I learned how to kind of develop and build a program. Um, but, you know, as you guys know, you know, um, when you leave, different people come in. And mm-hmm. um, and so the person who came in, um, his specialist was actually more like in, in band and he had like a, um, uh, you know, what's the word? Um, he had influence with the, with, the, with the Latin influence, which, you know, mission is like 40, when I was there, like 46%, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, Latino American. So, so yeah, so, you know, uh, he kind of changed it. So, you know, he has like a big mariachi band and he got, you know, things are different. So the, the choral looks different. It's not the choral that, you know, we know in a sense, right. right. You know, as far as like, you know, uh, octo- singing octavos and, you know, uh, singing, um, you know, in that in that style and things of that nature, uh, bel canto style. So he kind of, you know, did his thing, but it works. It works for that, you know, for the community and for those kids. So, so you know, um, I haven't been back to watch because times are always a little bit off here. If I'm here and I come back home, it's always the time when I'm done with school and they're still going on and you know, just trying to find time to go back and watch. But, but yeah, so you know, it's it, it's an honor to be able to get the music started again. And I, you know, Eric Guthers, who was the principal at the time, wanted it. So it's kind of cool to see that it, it continues. It's different, but it, it continues, and that's what it's all about. We had a really interesting chat a couple of days ago with uh, Elena Sharkova uh, and Jace Wittig of Cantabile Youth Singers, and we were talking a little bit about how different it feels to. Uh, <clears throat> be singers these days how how the relationship of young singers to choirs these days is very different when we were we were all we were younger i think it was sort of a little nerdy a little weird um, as an expert in developing new choral programs what was what is recruiting like these days i mean i imagine if you start from the ground up you've got to get the word out and what was the reaction from from kids when you talk to them about choirs these days and have you seen that change over the course of time well, you know, when, when I was, you know, doing it, you know, some of the things that I've learned, even in some of my research and seeing um, how you have, when I've seen teachers with, with really good programs in urban areas um, with a lot of minority students, um, low SES, you know, things of that nature. Um, you know, I noticed that, you know, first of all, you know, good teaching is good teaching, right? So, you know, understanding uh, your craft, understanding what you can do. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times when we come from universities, we're not necessarily taught 
in a sense. I mean, it's, it's getting so much better now. But, you know, when we were back in school, you know, it was like Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, this, this, and this. And it was like, oh, yeah, now you need to go out and, you know, figure it out, right? Um, and, and so w- when I was teaching, what I've learned, I was very fortunate because when I grew up in Chicago, I was on the south side of Chicago, uh, Kenwood Academy. I mean, it's like even when I went back for my research back in 2012 or 2012, uh, it's like 96% African-American. I mean, you're on the south side of Chicago. However, Kenwood has a lineage of, of great choral programs. Mm. And so what I saw, his name was Kenneth Lennon, uh, my choir director. What I saw and which came proceeded before him as well is that he understood the community that he was working with. So by the time I got there, obviously, it's been going on for a number of years. And the program, we, we, we traveled to New York, to Florida. We've done like these little tours and stuff. But one thing that I learned from him is that the first half of the concert, we had, you know, what we know, choir. You know, Del Canto singing. We sang Mozart, Randall Thompson, um, Franz Bebel, you know, one of my favorites. Ivan Maria is like one of my yeah. favorites, right? <laughs> and, and we did it in high school. You know what I mean? We had we had 104 singers, you know, in this kind of called concert choir. And but the but the second half, we did entire full set student-led gospel music. We changed we changed clothes, I mean outfits, we all had matching shoes, shirts, pants, we were dancing singing we had we had uh we had certain students who parents were pastors and so they kind of had that spirit of how they would pastor or kind of talk to the talk to the audience while we're singing and great voices and i mean it was a ball and so i just remember having a great experience which i fell in love with choral music from that side but also from our heritage and our culture uh, from that side and so when i got to mission high school you know i had a good friend of mine who told me you know he was my mentor early on um, he was like, well, just start off, you know, doing like maybe some, you know, some, uh, you know, art song, things like like that. And I'm kind of looking, I'm just like, ah, no, nah, we can't do that. So what I did is like, okay, because it was new and, and I would tell other teachers as well. And sometimes this may seem like it's taboo for some people, but, you know, start where they are. And that's what I did. And so I said, okay, well, I'm not going to put something in front of them that they have no concept of, but I got to put something in front of them that's that's age appropriate, that's yeah. community appropriate, um, but also can kind of dig into what they do and what they know. And so, you know, my first time of, you know, my first concert with Mission High School was a full set of Michael Jackson songs. <laughs> we had all Michael Jackson. We were dancing, choreographed. I remember I met, I can't remember all these things so long ago, I remember names, but it was this young lady, she was a Filipino lady who did choreographing and I don't know who introduced me to her, maybe my administration. I can't remember who, but we <laughs> sat in and it's on my YouTube page, you know, from years ago. We sat in and, and figured out a dance for, you know, certain songs. Yeah. Um, and so that first year, you know, it was funny because the kids was like, we're actually going to sing in front of people. And I'm kind of like, uh, yeah. And, you know, because they didn't know the culture, right? They, know, they didn't know our culture of choral music. Like we come to class, we learn, but we're actually going to perform this for people. And so we did a whole set. I mean, Michael Jackson, straight up, whole concert, dancing. I had a recording. They were singing, dancing to it. You know, the parents, the the administration, the teacher, they loved it. It was like, oh, my God, right? Um, and so I started from where they were. And then as my second year kind of came and kind of working more with them, I started implementing 
you know, an octavo. I, I split them up into two groups. I had a smaller group, which was like, you know, my advanced choir. So even within that advanced choir and in the beginning choir, I start introducing Sofage and just like, you know, that was part of our curriculum. We had 90 minute block classes. So we do some Sofage, we start kind of, so the kids who were really excelling at that area, I start moving them over uh, to a yeah. more, you know, to a more, you know, um, select group, right? It wasn't really audition, but it was just more of what they were doing, like freshmen, sophomores. And I was like, okay, let's move you over. And so then by the time I got to my third year, you know, we were doing, you know, octavos and, you know, some still some popular music in the advanced choir, but we were doing a lot of things using Sofetch. So we were learning our music through Sofetch. We were learning a lot. We were doing, you know, rounds. We start, you know, having them sing Sofetch on certain parts. And then we start to kind of create that. And then I had a women's choir who did a little bit of that, but then they did more of, um, you know, um, some octavos in that. And then my beginning choir, we just did all popular music. Yeah. Because it, it was it was kind of the way to get them in, right? And it was also a way for counselors to be like, hey, let's have a place for them. Well, here's the place for them. We all sing, we all dance and sing. And then those who, who develop in that curriculum, they want to, they can move on. And the kids who want to stay in the other choir, which some did, they did. And I also, um, you know, did music, you know, um, I remember I did Prince Royce. I went to students say, okay, what are, what are some of the, you know, top 40, you know, Latin singers, you know, Prince Royce. So I found the song and, you know, I had um, one student who was fluent in Spanish be the soloist. And then the rest of the choir did the, did the, the chorus. And then, um, and then I had four dancers in the middle doing the culture of their dance, Patacha. So they were doing the dance while the rest were singing. So it was just like being creative and, you know, try to do those things. And, and, you know, and I would encourage other people who are starting and it could be rural. That may be totally different. So it may be country music. It may be something else, but it's like, where, you know, start where they are and then start to build from there. Trust me, you'll get to the point where you can start adding those things. But if you come in right off the bat and say, we're just going to, we're just going to do classical music right off the bat. You know, I mean, everything, right? Everything classical music right off the right. bat, you can, you can lose a number of them. So that's how I build it. And that's how I try to encourage people to think in those ways to do that. You, you strike me as being, you know, really charismatic, really fun, very easy to talk to. And, and I mean, I, I would come and sing for you wherever you are, right? Like it's very exciting <laughs> and very inspiring for people. But how important do you think that that the director is in establishing those relationships, right? I mean, can you do what you've done from the ground up and build something new. How important is that relationship between the director and the community in establishing something new from the ground up? Um, it's huge. You know, um, you know, imagine you going to some place that no one knows you, you know, you're, you're, you're coming from outside the community. They don't know who you are, what you're about, or anything like that. So just like, uh, you know, as you guys, you know, start thinking for, for Zane, for example, and like I started thinking with Zane, but I knew Zane from our time in school, right? He came in from uh, from California. He was in, and he came uh, and, you know, he came in. So we had a relationship. He was there for me when I did my master's audition. And uh, I remember he gave me some encouraging words after that. And, and so I kind of knew Zane in a sense. But even then, I had to sit in with him, sing with him, go out and have tacos, go out and have a drink, you know, those type of things that kind of built that. And so it's the same thing for the teachers. So if you're coming into a new community, that's what it is. It's a community. You walk into a new community, then you have to start building trust with your students and then also with the community. And I think that's a huge part, very important. I think that's a component. Not saying people don't 
don't think about it, but it's huge because if you're coming and your culture and your perspective is totally different than what the kids are, then you have to come in and learn about their culture, right? And that means um, it could be something as simple as, you know, um, you know, talking to them, you know, asking questions, you know, uh, finding, you know, like from a music standpoint, find repertoire that kind of represents their culture, um, you know, going to, uh, you know, uh, things outside of just music that they're doing, right? Um, I remember I used to go to, you know, I'm a sports guy, so I remember uh, going to my son, my students were in the volleyball team, some on the basketball team. So I went there, so I was on the track team. So I showed up and they were like, you know, we have this, it's okay if you want to show up. And, you know, I had to get up on a Saturday and you all know the Bay Area. I was living on Oakland side. I had to, on a Saturday, get up and drive and <laughs> come over, you know, to Golden Gate Park, you know, where the track is and everything and come and watch, you know. But, you know, those type of things you have to do. And then within the classroom, you know, you have to be fair. You have to show, you know, that you're consistent the best you can from student to student. And we all know we have our favorite students, right? And, <laughs> and you know, favorite people, right? And I mean, it, it, it is what it is, right? But you can't give leeway to them. So you have to be consistent. You have to set, you know, you know standards and show that you believe in them. Um, I remember telling Mission High School and, uh, it was my advanced choir. And I remember telling them, and there's no knock to soda because soda, soda is awesome, you know, School of the Performing Arts. Uh, and and I told them, I said, I said, we're going to be better than so. I said, no one's going to look at you anymore and say, Mission, oh, this is the bad school. These kids can't read. I said, no, you're going to be the top. You're going to be one of the best. You know, I want us to be robbing soda. And they were just like, whoa, yeah, you know, and, but I was serious. I was just like, you know, I don't want you to think because we're at Mission High School and the reputation that people gives it, that you're not good kids and you don't work hard. And which was true, you know, they worked very hard. You know, they were very good, um, very good students. Um, so, you know, setting high standards, um, believing in them, encouraging them. And then as a, you know, as a teacher yourself is to really be open. And when you make mistakes, own up to it. Mm. Because they, when they see that you're human, um, that they're more, you know, more liable to 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 kind of open up to you and trust you, you know. So, yeah. shifting gears a little bit and thinking about kind of what's going on right now with uh, COVID, and shifting a little bit to sort of the university perspective, we've been chatting with conductors and educators from around the world about how they've been able to meet and make music through COVID. The only commonality we've seen is that every place has been different in their response to local <laughs> regulations. So walk us through maybe a little bit of what it's been like in Dayton under what um, I, I looked up a little bit and I, I feel like I saw something called the Path Forward Program um, that was sort of an all-encompassing for for the music department uh, at Dayton. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on in Dayton and how you're handling COVID. Well, I'd be interested to hear what other people are doing, but you know, just like everybody, once COVID hit, um, we were all online asking each other what's going on, you know, our, our organizations, ACDA, uh, you know, NAFME, NCCO, I mean, they all put out statements and here's research. And I mean, so, you know, everybody was looking at what was the best way to kind of do things. And, and so with us, you know, um, what we decided to do is to follow the guidelines, you know, um, everyone wear a mask, um, everyone have their distance 10 to 12 feet. And, and then we kind of work from there. But, you know, for us, the first month of school, um, students came back and they, they thought it wasn't a real thing. 
you know, mm. and it wasn't all of them, but it was some of them who right before school started, they start coming back early, maybe a month in advance, almost three weeks. Everything was good. But, you know, as we all know, we all been in college that weekend before school starts. Everybody's like, let's get that last party in, mm -hmm. you know, before school starts. And that's what happened. And because of that, the case is shot up. Right. So for so for the first um, four weeks, four and a half weeks, we were online while the students were on campus. So they weren't home, you know, they were they were on campus. Some had to be sent home who had, you know, had the case and I mean, who had COVID and everything, but they had to stay on campus. So, so the good thing over the summer, we had to prepare in three different ways uh, for rehearsal. Online, hybrid, and of course, what we all know face-to-face, -face, right? And so hybrid is face-to-face -face or online or both at the same time. So we had to go to the first method. So we went, we went to online and how we did this is um, I got this idea from a director that was in New York and I said, okay, well, let's still have rehearsal. You all are online, myself and the company is going to be in the room and we're going to run rehearsal as if you're in the classroom. Mm. And so, you know, so for us or for me, you know, it was a silent rehearsal pretty much right but what <laughs> but with the with the with the accompanist there it kind of helped the students hear everything right and so just like you know i did my score stay so i know what parts might be a little funky and i knew some rhythm stuff how i want to run my rehearsal um and so i went through that process right and i said okay we start here we did warm-ups i had them up moving like i usually do if they're in rehearsal and then i had them singing and then, then i will stop and sometimes check in did you get that do you have it and then I'll say, ask questions whenever you need to. So then they would chime in, ask questions. Um, mm -hmm. Every so often I'll ask a student, hey, can you sing this part for me? I didn't do it much because it was early on. I didn't want to like scare them, you know, scare them. But, you know, I did little things like that um, to try to have some form of normalcy as they were in rehearsal. But of course it, it wasn't normal because they were in their dorm room, just them singing. They can at least hear the piano. Right. Um, and then, um, and so that's how we had to do it for the first four and a half weeks. What's the size? What's the student body size at, at Dayton at the University? Of Dayton? Uh, it's about undergrad. I think it's about nine thousand, but with graduate students, it's about a total of like eleven thousand. So, so it's not a it's not a huge school. No, it's not a huge school. It, it, it's the largest private school in Ohio, but you know we got Ohio State, right? Which is one of the largest in the country, right? I've so, heard of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you know that school. Um, yeah, so it, it's not a huge school. Yeah, and so pre pre COVID time, what was the size of your choral department? Like, how many how many singers did you have typically? Let's see. Well, like in Corral, we had about close to forty. Okay. And this year we had we had like thirty seven, and you know thirty between thirty four and thirty seven, and then women's choir was up to like twenty twenty plus. Uh, we have war music choir which had forty five. And then we had um, gospel choir had about 17. Um, okay. So I'm going to do the math. I don't know the math of that. But then all of us have shrinked, yeah. gotten smaller in numbers uh, since that. You know, we're down to 27 in Corral. We're down to nine in Bella Voce. I think where music choir is down to like 20 and gospel choir is down to like 11. So... So what's what's fueling that? I mean, what's been the reaction from the community and from the students? I mean, we've heard things ranging from people being surprised that there would 
be a program at all because you you read the news and you open up and you hear about the spread of COVID and you hear these stories about the choir in Washington and I think there was another group in South Korea. Um, so it's probably natural that there'll be s some attrition, but what's been the community's reaction to the program starting up again? Uh, that's what they wanted. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of students wanted music. They wanted to, they wanted to sing, so we had to be creative. Um, I forgot to mention that we also during the warmer months here, because we're not in California, we're in the Midwest. Uh, we we put up a tent which was like fifty feet long, and so the choir was able to rehearse outside, the band was able to rehearse outside, and we did that all the way into November. So we you know we got it up in September, and then we kept it up there. And if it was like fifty five and up, we went outside. Um, so, so to, but to answer your question, as far as the community, I mean, the community wanted it. I mean, the students wanted to sing. Um, our administration at UD um, are, are very supportive of music. The president came to my concert, awesome. comes to our, our choir concerts. Who does that, right? I know. Um, and, and then writes little nice notes afterwards and saying, you know, thank you so much and this and that. And um, so they're very supportive. So they, they really supported us in however creative way we were trying to figure it out. Um, and so the community was excited um, and, you know, we were able to put something on virtually, um, you know, for them at the end of the, you know, end of the year. So that way they can have something. And all our ensembles, you know, were able to do that. And speaking of those virtual programs, you, um, you had put together, I think I saw the Unity and Diversity virtual programs. Um, and for most parts, they were recorded virtually. There's some hybrid bits and pieces that I saw in there. Um, you had a couple of, of sections in there with Bella Voce, I believe, um, and you chose chose pieces. I think um, a Patrick Lieberden arrangement of uh, "Viva" from Il Re Pastore. So you did a little bit of the Mozart, a Robert Jones arrangement of uh, "Bring Me a Little Water, Sylvie," um, uh, which is attributed to Huddy Ledbetter. What's in your mind as you're pulling together a program like this? How are, what sorts of pieces are you thinking about, um, and how do you even be Begin to program when you don't necessarily know what it's going to look like on the other side. <laughs> well, you know, you well, first of all, you know, for this for the pandemic at least, you know, you're like, okay, I got to be smart about this because you understand that it's not going to be the same quality that you're used to used to hearing or what your ears are used to hearing or, and so you had to so so I had to kind of not say bring down my expectations but kind of bring down you know just kind of the the idea of like, this is what it's supposed to sound like. It's like, okay, I need to pick music a little more simple, mm -hmm. right? It's not about how how they look, how they sound, how I look as a conductor. Like, what are people thinking about me? You know, it's like, you know what? <laughs> Squash all that. You know, it's like, you know, okay, what can they do? What can I do? And then having like multiple like ideas, right? Um, and so when, so when I was looking at... Um, repertoire, you know, for me personally, when I pick music, I always um, try to, in my rep, to pick something from a historical period, right? So um, pick something from a historical period. Um, I try to have something that's, um, that can catch the, the hearts of people, you know, like a beautiful piece, a ballad or a number of pieces that do that. Um, I try to have something that's going to be, um, that's going to lift the spirits, you know, I try to have the program to kind of have this wave, so it's not all high, 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 then low, right? It's like, okay, we start off, boom, here's a here's something to get you going. And then now we have something to kind of go. And then we 
let you relax a little bit, then we come back and then we kind of have this this kind of thing that kind of opens up. A bit um, of a roller coaster, as it were. A bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> I, I remember back when I was singing for Zane, he had this um, program where it, it was about tastings. <laughs> I don't know if you remember we that. The poster's about still that. on the wall, yeah. I still have a poster. Oh, uh, you still have that. So, yeah. so, so, so he had different palettes. You know, you know, he does wine and stuff. So, you know, he had different things about, you know, even though the pieces weren't necessarily... Um, you know, the name of that particular taste, but it was it was the kind of idea to have the people start to imagine like, okay, this is what is what's going on. This is what this is what I'm tasting. I can hear the different tones or I can, you know, these type of things that becomes the palate, you know, the taste and all those things. Um, so when I so when I thought about this, you know, with them, I was thinking that. But if you go to the end of the concert, um, we sing We Shall Overcome. And so that particular piece is where we have everybody, all the choirs um, going through. And so that kind of created that sense of that unity um, and just kind of looking at what happened in 2020, um, where we are, where we want to be, and just kind of, you know, pushing forward. For example, you know, we say we shall overcome someday, but then at the end we say we shall overcome today. And because and the reason why we added that is you know, I want to go in that direction because I wanted to say, like, look at the people out there protesting. Look at the people out there, um, you know, saying, like, what's happening is wrong, you know, and, it, and it's everybody. It's not just, you know, one race doing it anymore, not just African-Americans. It's like it looks like a civil rights movement almost. Right. Everybody is yeah. like, like realizing, like, OK, wait a minute. This ain't right. You know, and so that's kind of how that came to be. And that name of the piece or the name of the theme of the concert um, for that. What's been inspiring you during this COVID period? Have you seen um, pieces from from colleagues or anything you've caught online? Because obviously none of us are going to concert halls, right? So we're all sitting in front of our computers and looking for, for new content on our phones wherever we are. What's inspiring you right now? I think what's inspiring me right now that comes to mind, like when you start talking about it, um, is uh, the Aeolians from mm. Oakwood University. Oh, yes. And, we saw their, the Voces 8 program that they did. I don't know if you caught that, but it was really tremendous. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it was it was actually the same song which you'll have come, but it was a totally different arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, because at the time during 2020 and, you know, George Floyd and all those things, you know, as African-American male, I was hurt. And, um, you know, just hearing them sing um, and the passion they sing with and just, I mean, that was something that really helped stir, you know, the motivation to say, OK, let's keep going, you know. Um, and also being in a virtual setting, it's like, Ooh, look what they're doing. That's pretty cool. Um, looking at some of the things, you know, um, and I think what really inspires me is those type, those type of songs. But I think just seeing my other colleagues around the country who are also putting on, you know, performances and, and being creative and sharing ideas and not, you know, holding on to everybody's like, look, we're all in the same boat, <laughs> you know? So, you know, just really seeing that um, from a musical standpoint, seeing how we all coming together to try to make something, do something, you know, for, and what it really comes down to is, is for our students, right? And the people that we're in front of. 
Here's a bit of the Aeolians from Oakwood University performing Mary Had a Baby, arranged by Roland Carter. It's interesting you mentioned that because some of the conversations we've had or some of the expectations that some communities have had is, well, you know, gosh, everything's going, vir- you know, at the high school level mostly, but, you know, gosh, everything's going virtual and, uh, boy, what's the first thing we can cut? Well, music sounds silly. We should just cut that right out. What are your thoughts about that? It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. And it's happened at Dayton uh, public schools too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and at least in, in this instance, it's when higher administrations make decisions without consulting the experts, right? And I think that, you know, we spent all summer, all of us, you know, all conductors and singers and every, we spent all summer figuring out how the heck can we do this from an academic standpoint, right? Um, and even just if you're just an artistic director, right, you think like, how can we continue to create music and continue to, to you know, continue to build this community and to give to the, to the community, right? Um, and so we spent all summer figuring this thing out, finding out different technologies, being on webinars, you know, all these type of things. And so when higher administrations make decisions without even consulting, asking questions or things of that nature, you know, um, granted, you know, there could be fiscal things that are happening because or whatever it may be. I know that was part of Dayton Public Schools. Um, but I think it's important for administration and other people who are in higher positions to ask the experts, ask the choir teachers, ask what they're doing, how can they do it, at least have a dialogue. And it might come up to be like, you know what? We can't do it, right? right. But, you know, at least at Dayton Public Schools, they, you know, it, se- it seems that they just say, well, since we're not gonna, you can't do music online. <laughs> so we're right. just gonna cut it until the COVID, everything kind of dies down. And when you come back, we'll start hiring teachers back. And that's, that's what happened. Hey, I want to hear more about Kenya and Tijuana. What, what, uh, what took you to those places as a clinician? Uh, so Kenya was, was pretty cool. So um, this is when I was still at Penn State. And it so happened that my professor um, and friend and colleague, uh, Kevin Fenton of Florida State, um, he's done a couple of trips over to Kenya. And uh, he'd, he'd done um, a, a Voice for Peace. And um, this kind of initiative that he kind of started doing with the Nairobi Chamber Choir in Kenya. And uh, he contacted me and he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going over here. You know, I would like for you to go. You know, you can bring four students with you and, you know, you know, that whole process of coming. And so so I said, OK, so, you know, we were able to be able to figure it out. And I brought four students over to Kenya. So we and he had about six students and then Texas Tech um, brought over about 10 students. And, and so we joined this, uh, we create this A Voice for Peace choir. Here's an excerpt from A Voice for Peace's 2017 documentary, the Nairobi Chamber Choir singing Ukutula. So we went and we 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 got together with our OB uh, chamber choir and we got to sing with them. Um, but also, all the conductors got a chance to work with the all the choir and our OB choir and 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 do a piece with them. 
So we had our piece that we was coming and preparing and, and to do. And so I got a chance to rehearse them, you know, work with everybody. You know, and obviously, you know, they were all high quality singers. You know, even the the singers in, in Kenya, you know, they a lot of them were music majors, you know, or music mm -hmm. teachers, and it was really cool. Um, and so, you know, we were able to get a lot of things done really fast, but then we were able to perform it, right? And, um, you know, in different churches, different places and do those type of things. So, um, so yeah, so I got a chance to conduct in Kenya, work with, you know, you know, Kenyans and, and do those things in Nairobi, uh, you, which was pretty remember awesome. The, do you remember the rep from the, from those concerts? I mean, was there anything that stood out to you that, um, oh man, I told you I'm horrible with names. So, um, <laughs> C.C. Jamoja by uh, Jacob, I think, Nervod, I think, was, uh, hey, uh, hey, uh, C.C. Jamoja. You know, that song. Mm. Um, <clears throat> what else? Um, we did do like a, um, <laughs> I think it was, um, it was, it, it was a Renaissance piece. I remember mm. doing that. Um, and I remember the, the lady from Texas Tech conducted that piece. Mm. If you ask me the name, I don't remember. I have to go back and look at the music that we did. Um, but, uh, but we did a lot of pieces that weren't necessarily super difficult. We did some music that was, you know, from their culture, um, you know, uh, some like a couple pieces, but, um, but it was interesting because when we were in, when we were in Kenya, we were there close to Christmas time. So we actually went to one of their Catholic churches. Uh, oh, by the way, this is just a side note, their music, choral music and their style is amazing. Okay. Mm. I mean, um, I recorded and I still have it, right? So it was like we we were in um, the church for one of their services. We got to sing with one of their, you know, with the church choir, and you know they were singing because it's Catholic church, so they're singing all the you know the Catholic liturgy and stuff. And you know I grew up Catholic, so I knew. I said, oh yeah, I know this. But then they start singing their music. The whole congregation was moving. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole. I mean, they were just like it was amazing, and so. What you notice in their music, their, their rhythms, their meters, their meters, they, they shift. They just shift. You're going mm. from like one meter, just kind of, you know, then all of a sudden you're kind of a triple meter and then you're back to another one and then you're going to, I mean, it it just it just shifts and it's they're moving with it and they're singing with it. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, so yeah, so that was, that was kind of the rep that we did. We did some of our stuff and, oh yeah, so we were at the church because they're, they're a Catholic um, church and they were colonized by the British. Um, you know, they did the Messiah, mm. ah. the entire thing. Okay. Wow. And I wish, I wish people in podcasts that could see my face because, um, <laughs> because I mean, you know, cause you know, Messiah is long, but, it, but it's, but I mean, they had soloists, they had the choir, they had, I mean, they didn't have like orchestra or anything, but they had an organist, you know, they were, they had, you know, they were, they were singing through each one, um, in English, you know, everything. And, um, and it was great, but it was also funny because, you know, we came from a 12 hour difference. And so, you know, we were tired. And so they were going late into the night and they, were, and they literally stopped part of the Messiah after we, they said, we have to let the Americans go. <laughs> so we, we go to sleep. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, so like, so like they did a variety of music and a variety of, of repertoire. So we kind of did that too in our small group um, and what we sang for different people. So I know my answer to the next question is that I have every intention of joining you on your next globetrotting trip the moment we can do anything outside of the <laughs> pandemic and we can travel again. But what are, what are you most excited for once we get the all clear and, and we all feel a little bit more comfortable and feel more, more safe? What are, you, what are you most looking forward to? 
I think the thing I'm looking um, looking most forward to is just being in a room with people again. Mm. I mean, just keep it simple. I mean, being able to be in a room with people and like let's have a con- let's let's have a, a rehearsal. Let's yeah. see your faces because you know a lot of the thing we've been doing when we're together, everyone has mask on. You know, you forget what people look like without their mouths and if they're smiling and things of that nature. I think I think that's number one. Just being in a room and creating music again in real time with everybody, not fear that you're going to catch a virus or anything like that. I think that's probably number one. Number two is that kind of same thing you were just kind of, you know, alluding to is like, I would love to get out and get our, get my choir out. You know, um, before the pandemic hit, we had a full tour ready to go to Puerto Rico and, you know, cure, I mean, a tour in Ohio a little bit, and then, you know, do some joint concerts from universities and then head to Puerto Rico some joint concert universities there, sing at a high school, do some uh, social community work. And, you know, we were about to leave two days before the world said it's a pandemic. So, um, you know, University of Dayton, March 11th said, everybody go home. And we were leaving March 13th to start our tour. Wow. So, you know, I, I would love to, to, to get something like that again for our students. And, you know, especially for those who were still here young enough in the choir so that it may be like juniors and seniors now to give them a chance to still go. Um, you know, just being able to do that, um, you know, just being able to go in and work with choirs and clinician and go different places and, you know, go to conferences. I mean, I think it's a number of things, but when it comes to music, it's just literally sitting in there and saying, we can sing without restrictions, knowing that everyone's safe and let's make music in real time. And then yeah. everything else is just icing on the cake. Yeah, it's amazing. Those uh, folks who work uh, in in offices or do things that are, that are obviously not music related, you know, most folks are seeing this transition where they're like, oh God, I, I hope I never go back to an office again, or I hope I'm never, you know, I don't have to, like I can do my job from anywhere else. And this is the one profession, the one career where it's like, no, it it's about us being together again. We need we people, need you know. There. We need people. We're people who you know, need people, basically. I, yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're social beings, you know. And and right. and I would even I would even challenge those who work in the office. I mean, obviously, you you know, you can you don't probably have to be at the office every day, knowing some of the things we're able to do. But I think human connection is very important, and I say that because you know, um, my wife she works from home. She worked from home for like seven years, mm. and um, I noticed you know, um, that she needs some of that social, you know, interaction. She doesn't necessarily need a lot, but, you know, it's like she's at a computer all day. She's talking to people. She's meetings and stuff like that. But just like being in front of a person, put your hand on someone's shoulder, Mm -hmm. give someone a hug, you know, all those things in Coraline, when we love all that, you know, touchy-feely stuff because i mean because music touch us right and so we we connect with people and i think that's such a you know such an important thing so i I would challenge those too like you need to you need to go back to the office maybe not every day but you need to go back yeah Yeah, Yeah, we need we need that absolutely in our in our closing minutes uh, anything you'd like to tell the audience to keep an eye out for in the coming months anything you're excited about yeah so you know we had our um you know virtual performance, you know, with all the choirs, you know, last year. Um, and so we're going to do it again. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be, um, you know, April 17th at 6 p.m. and April 18th, I believe that, sorry, so April 17th at 8 p.m., April 18th at, at 6 p.m. So Saturday, Sunday concert, similar. And we're excited because we went through the process the first time and then we're like, oh, okay, we could do some things differently. We can maybe, and now that we know we may be able to 
um, seeing in some spaces together in smaller mm-hmm. groups, we may be able to do a little bit more, a little bit more variety and having students together um, singing, singing some of the recordings, which is going to be exciting for everybody because uh, it was it was tough for students to do it over and over and over again by themselves in isolation. Right. right. Um, so and folks, super, can, and folks can find that on YouTube. Is that yes, right? they can, they they can find it on YouTube. It, like you won't have the date until later on into the semester, but you know, just keep an eye out for that. You know, you can go to um, you Dayton Choirs um, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, and also Twitter. We we put a lot of our updates and things up there. We also put up you know you know uh, spotlights of students and other things that are going on in the in the choral department there. So. You go to that, you go there, you can find updates and that information will be out. It'll be on the, on the actual UD website as well. So. Cool. Yeah. One of the things we've talked about with a lot of people during this first series of interviews is, is the, the fact that because of COVID, because of, of all the restrictions, we've been forced to transition to this digital way of, of presenting the music. But one of the positives of that is means that we can that people are tuning in from all over the place. And so actually the, the reach turns out to be a bit broader. Um, yeah. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. And we'll definitely put, um, you know, information in the show notes as to where people can find out more updates as to where they can hear the U date inquires um, yeah, online. Thank you. Because that I would appreciate be, it. Absolutely. Would be nice. Yeah. You know, good way to share, share music with the world. Do we want, that's one of the things we want to keep on doing. That's right. Keep it going. <clears throat> I had I had one other thing I wanted to ask ask about Steve. You know, obviously 2020 being a big tumultuous year, um, especially with regards to Black Lives Matter, with George Floyd, with you know everybody really finally coming to terms with something that's plagued you know the United States for a long time. Um, but it, what it's generated is a conversation, especially in arts organizations, about diversity. You know, everybody's talking about you know how to be more diverse, how to make steps to um, improve in those ways. And I was wondering if you have seen things, uh, seen some things that you think are good steps in the right direction, or maybe what it is that you do to help promote diversity. I don't know what the diversity looks like at uh, U Dayton, um, and other also what you think could be done better. Yeah. So as far as what I've seen improvement in, um, one is that people are starting to talk more about it and starting to um, start have meetings to kind of make things happen. So, for example, I'm on the national board for the National Collegiate Conductors Organization, NCCO. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a meeting and actually we had a we had a workshop this summer um, where you know, the leadership said, hey, let's get together. Let's see how we can start, open our eyes more to being more diverse in our in our organization, right? Um, and so we had a, a great session um, and we learned a lot. We were able to share openly with one another, you know, um, you know, and, you know, in the higher academia, it's tough, you know, you know, trying to get tenure and then all of a sudden, you know, you're also African-American. So you're like, okay, how do I balance Right. Um, not overstepping or not doing something to upset, you know, to upset someone. And then on top of sometimes feeling like you're the affirmative action hire. Right. Because they're like, oh, well, we had to hire. We have to show some diversity. So we hired, you know, so those type of pressures. Right. Not saying that's, that's everybody's situation or anything like that. Um, and so we were able to share those things and be kind of open and, and talk about those things. And with our colleagues, you know, um, 
And, and so they, they took those things and now, you know, things are starting to be talked about and things are starting to be implemented and different policies and things of that nature. For Ohio Music Education Association, um, I'm a part of the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Access uh, Committee that's been newly developed. And so same thing, we're, we're looking at, you know, part of the group looking at policy. Part of the group is looking at repertoire. So looking at, you know, the states that get a list of repertoire they can do every year. So it's looking like, okay, are there any African-American composers, Latino composers? Are there a variety? Are there women? You know, are there a variety of composers that people can actually select from and that are, um, that they can go to, to their competitions and, and perform? So, you know, those type of things. Um, so, you know, things are being uh, looked at differently and organizations at least are starting to look, starting to do that. Um, at the University of Dayton, you know, um, we're having conversations with the upper administration about, you know, you know, moving forward. You know, I know University Day put out a statement about working towards being an anti-racist university. Um, and so conversations are happening in that and, you know, and how that can be and how that's kind of growing. So, so you're starting to kind of see those things happen, but also starting to try to put it into policy, which is the biggest thing, right? We, we could talk about it all day, but actually people saying, okay, let's, let's, let's change the, you know, the, the policies that, which creates these systematic, you know, racism or biases or things of that nature. How do we step out and look at it from a whole and start to make change? And so, uh, so those are some of the positive things that I, that I've seen, um, that are starting to happen. Um, but as far as like kind of the state of things and, you know, where things are now, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it's always going to be a, a sense of intentionality, right? You know, like it's, 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 it's like, you know, uh, you know, Barack Obama, I remember he said something and he said that, you know, like making change in Congress or the government in government, is like turning Titanic, mm-hmm. right? So you're not going to turn it, you know, like uh, it's going to take time. But I think if, if people are being intentional and especially those who have the power are being intentional to become allies and to really try to make change, um, then I think that's when things start to develop and start to move. And I think that's, that's what we have to keep pushing, right? Cause we can have all this emotion and then all this stuff, which is good to start off with, but then what are the other things happening behind the scenes to allow these things to actually change? And so when people say diversity and inclusion and kind of these things, you know, these are words that have been around for a while, right? Um, but it's really like what are being done on the higher level within those smaller levels, especially in that higher academia, right? You know, up administration, your chairs, your deans, and then to the faculty. So how is that from the bottom up is being looked at and how is that being intentionally um, looked at to make a, a difference? And so that's kind of how I see kind of where we are. That's awesome. Any parting words for our listeners, messages of hope, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, understand, my dad used to say this to me. He used to say, you know, uh, you have people in your life for a reason, for a season, or for a lifetime. And I also think this is true for certain situations, for a reason, a season, for a lifetime. And this pandemic is a season, right? There's definitely a reason, right? We've, we've learned a lot on how to recreate, how to reconnect, how to look in inwardly 
and to say, okay, this is who I am. How can I be better? You know, how can I get through these things that I didn't know because we're always so busy with life and things are going on that we, 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 we kind of don't take care of ourselves and really look inward. Right. So, um, you know, so like that reason, we, a lot of positive things have come out of it, but this pandemic is a season. That means that season's in. And I just want to encourage, you know, people out there to, you know, continue to lean on one another, continue to help one another, continue to make music in any shape or form that you can, because even though it's not what we are used to, but we are still connecting people, we're building community through singing. I have a big smile on my face right now for the <laughs> listeners out there. That's that was very invigorating, Stephen. Really, really great to uh, to hear those sentiments. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this has been a great conversation. Really great to hear your perspective on everything that we've talked about, and to hear what's going on at at University of Dayton. And um, you know, I hope that your programs coming up this this spring, you know, go well, and that you're able to share them with the world. And and we'll put all the information that we can into the show notes um, about you know how people can connect with you and your choirs and uh, experience the music that you guys are making. So. So thanks for joining us uh, on this call and on this Yeah, podcast. thank you. All right, Steve. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening, and um, I'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Okay, awesome. All cool. right, guys, thank you. Have All a right. good day. You too. Ciao. All right, right bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison podcast. But before we go... Do you sing in an awesome choir that people should know about? Or maybe know a composer or conductor you'd love to hear on the show? How about any recent or upcoming performances that touched your heart, tickled your fancy, or made you go, hmm? Well, then we would love to hear from you. Please shoot us a note at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com with your thoughts. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. <laughs> In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at InUnisonPod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. Karaoke rehearsal tracks provided by Chorus Dolores, who has serious doubts about your commitment to sparkle motion. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.